This is Eric Krasno, and you are listening to the Plus One Podcast. I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Thank everybody that's been sharing the show with your friends. I want to urge you guys to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, maybe leave a review, some comments. You can also follow us on Instagram. It's Kraz, K-R-A-Z plus one on Instagram. You can also email me, Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z plus one at Gmail. I've been reading your emails. I've been checking out your suggestions. It's been really helpful for the show, so I appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to Osiris Media. They helped me put this show together, and they have a lot of other great shows that you can check out at OsirisPod.com. So I'm happy to say that live music is coming back, and it feels so good to play live in front of people again. Last week, I got to play the Blue Note in New York City with my trio. We did six shows, had a ton of great special guests. Got to do the Peach Festival out in Pennsylvania with Oteil Burbridge and friends, and just got to see so much great music. Andy Frasco in the UN, Taz, the Almond Betts Band, and got to sit in with some friends. And it just felt really good to play music on stage again and connect with my friends and hug people and uh, see a lot of great music too. I forgot, I haven't really seen any live music in you know over a year. So uh, anyway, very appreciative that we're back out there doing it. I also want to give a shout out to everyone that's downloaded or streamed the new single that I put out uh, last week. It's called So Cold. And we finally announced my new album, Always, which is dropping on September 17th. I think the pre-orders are available now. Uh, You can check all that out at ericrasno.com or on my Instagram at ericrasno. We also have some live shows coming up with the new band, The Assembly. We're playing Austin, Texas on August 12th. And then I'm doing a DJ set the 13th and then playing with Taz. That's on the 14th. And uh, it's all going down at Antone's Nightclub in Austin, Texas. Again, you can go to ericrasno.com for more details. So my guest on today's show is an old friend that I've known for many, many years, since the late 90s. He's a great musician. He's a great songwriter. He's been a part of some incredible projects, the Benevento Russo duo. Most recently, he's a part of J-Rad. But he's also made a lot of great solo albums and tours under his own name quite a bit. So we're going to dig into his musical past, his musical upbringing, and what inspires him to be a creative artist. So I'm excited to get into that, but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. All right, he's an amazing artist, an incredible keyboard player, a vocalist, a songwriter, a producer, a part of the Benevento Russo duo, and J-Rad. I'd like to welcome today's plus one, Marco Benevento. Part of what planted the seed for me, like having my studio in my backyard and all that stuff was coming up to your house. So how has the lockdown treated you in terms of your sanity and, and have you been able to make music there? I'm living the dream up here. This right. is like the best place that anyone could quarantine in for 15 months exactly, or any yeah. musician. You know, I totally. mean, I got the studio, a separate building from my house. Yeah. You know, being on tour, I've like been missing the kids. The kids are 14 and 11 now. Wow. So like, I just got a bunch of quality time with the kids, taught them a bunch of piano lessons. This was like a giant reset button for, for me. So in, in a way uh, it was kind of great we had just hit the road pretty hard we just put out let it slide right our like studio record 
and we toured from like September literally to the beginning of March. Wow. Of right, right before the pandemic. And then right as we were like ending the tour, I was like, you guys, I need like two months off. Like this, yeah. that was a crazy ride. We went to like Japan and back and like wow. covered all the United States and did like, you know, when you're on the, on the road doing like the album release, you got to like get up early and do the radio thing. And then, yep. you know, and then do this, early noon recording in Chicago and then go to the venue and like, you know, there's all these things, extra things you also have to do. Right. Of so we were, we were all even more wiped than, than ever just because of all the additional stuff you kind of also have to do. And uh, so I said to Karina and DB, I was like, yo, I need like two months off. And then right. we got like 15 months off. So right. I've been doing great. Honestly, it's been good. It's been it was a little weird, you know, financially it was a little frightening because, you know, I have eight acres of land, a house, a studio. We just got a new car. Right, right. You know, it was like all these like, uh-oh. Uh, but we like, we just like did every little thing we could to to save on dough. Like yep. definitely cut cut out the uh, vinyl purchases on eBay. We actually stopped eating meat for like a whole year to like wow. save a little dough on that. And also we watched this documentary about how if everybody would stop eating meat like they would really help out the environment and really help out our whole ecosystem if we weren't using all this space for cows and using all this water for cows and you know all this stuff so so we stopped eating meat for a while we like made like epic grocery runs to last us like 14 days you know so we did every little penny pinching thing we could do and it worked out fine i actually also i have an album easily an album worth of new material so i've been doing all right i mean how about you? What 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 have you been doing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of had a similar experience where, well, you know, we had a baby too. So for me, it was like, congratulations, like, thanks, that's right. man. So <laughs> for me, it was amazing, you know, and uh, also just having my own studio. I, we bought a house during it and moved into that house and got to spend time. Like I'm actually, there's construction outside my studio right now because we're building another room off of there. So I got to like do all these things that I'd always kind of dreamt of, like learned how to really cook. You know what I mean? I started cooking all the time. I feel like that's what everybody did. You know, everyone it's started totally. cooking and, and figuring out different health routines too for myself. Cause like being on the road, has always been hard for me health wise. So like, yeah. Oh, same here. You yeah. know, I started changing a lot of those things. And uh, yeah, so yeah. it was amazing on a lot of levels. And I made three albums worth of music pretty much. <laughs> okay. You know? All right. Because I nice. was like, I had been itching to make, I had like two projects that I wanted to make, you know, that had been in my head um, and some demos. I got to really like make those records. So I was actually awesome. curious on your end, like, were you playing all the instruments generally on the new projects? I, I totally did. I, nice. I, I decided to, um, to do it. Cause, and I don't know if you did this as well, but I taught a bunch of lessons on yeah. zoom just because yeah, it, it was actually really fun. You know, um, I signed up for the thing that Mark Brownstein, uh, started lively. Yep. Uh, live at ly and like yep. i was like yeah we'll see if anybody takes a lesson i'll teach him a lesson you know right and uh i taught this one guy a lesson like weekly and it was really fun and he was a really nice guy he knew like me from back in like the duo days and then the, my new trio everything yep. and i told him i was working on a record and i was like i told him that i was like i'm considering doing all the instruments myself because like what a this is like the perfect time to just be like I was trapped in here and I'm just going to do it myself. And he's like, Oh, I'm surprised you haven't done that already. 
Right. And I thought to myself, yeah, like I'm surprised I haven't done that already too. So I, I, I went for it. I, and I was going to send tracks to Karina. I was going to send tracks to I actually thought about Deitch. Yeah. I was like, I think Deitch would be great on this one, even though we've never, we haven't collaborated recently on anything, but yeah. I was thinking about sending stuff to all sorts of people. And then I was like, why don't I just commit to it and, and like really like practice the drums for a while for, or for like this particular song and this particular beat that I'm imagining. And, right, and, right. and then, and then just go for it and then get in there and pro tools and like fix it up, make me sound a little better. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did drums. I did bass vocals. I did a little guitar. Nice. Um, and, and all various random things. And, uh, the only one guest that I do have is this African drum teacher from Ruby and Isla's school, our kid's school. His name is Mimo, and he's nice. from uh, Ghana. He's awesome. So I have like I had him overdub a bunch of African drums and all sorts of stuff on on uh, some tunes. Some songs have that element of like weird Marco in the studio, right? And then some songs are like, whoa, like that's a song, you know, like singing you know, verse, chorus, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so it's kind of a mix of, of weirdness in the studio, little like minute, minute and a half long things. And then yeah. like full on like three and a half, four and a half minute kind of, kind of songs. So yeah, I went for it. I, and I, I'm, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with it. Actually. I, I, I just took all the tracks and put them onto my four track. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've done that yeah, recently. Yeah. But I, I love like committing to you know, like mono drums, track one, bass, right. track two, whatever else on track three, and then vocals on track four. So you did, Pro Tools, you did Pro Tools yeah. in the beginning, and then you're like uh-huh. doing what, like stems or whatever to take. Stem it cool, down cool. to the, yeah, send it down to the, but also I have the, a 388, an eight track oh, I task love those, cam yeah. that, I, that I've been dumping stuff to and then putting it back into Pro Tools. And then to really, really sum it up and flatten it all out and to hear the effects hit the tape i've been stemming everything down to just four tracks and then i'm going to give the four tracks to someone to mix right right but they'll have an easy job at that point they will they will and and they can't really mess it up or like change what i really am hearing in it anyway you know what i mean um so that's what i did with let it slide with the record that i made with leon yeah yeah. he did that he he bounced everything down to the four track i'm like that's so brilliant because then you could send somebody stuff and they're not going to like turn up the kick drum too loud they're gonna be like why'd you turn the kick what you know or or something you know some simple stuff where you're like i just love the way the sounds just help me put some fresh ears on it and help me boost the levels or make it brighter or make it darker almost like yeah almost almost like mastering but yeah but then you then you get to the mastering phase and you're like oh wow this really brought out that's smart i haven't done that specifically to tape like because usually what i'll do is i'll how bring stems into a studio to to do the final mix because i do the same thing where i do all like i feel like musicians are, are engineers so many of us are engineers now and we like add so many cool effects and automate things and then you don't want to undo all that you want to keep all that so it's a lot easier to give some, but i also sometimes don't trust myself to fully mix it it's like this weird spot where then i just like i like to go to the studio and also just to hear it in a different environment and have someone else hear it and then tweak the final things you know right yeah yeah yeah, absolutely so do you plan to put out this as as one album sounds like you have a lot of tracks 
I came up with one record that, you know, one thing that's yeah. going to be a thing and that's going to be the record. And then while I was talking about like songs and then like weird stuff in the studio uh, yeah. and the, and like the second sort of idea or what the batch of songs that I, that really work well together are almost like um, me and the piano kind of songs, you right, know, just right. like simple, um, it, and eventually I think I would add bass and drums, but just very like, um, you know, uh, Lennon-esque, you know, right, just right. like singing and playing piano. I, I, I hope to, to not really edit it so much and make loops and do all sorts of, I hope to like catch sort of just catch the moment with those, with those tunes compared to what the other record, which is like a lot of experimentation, a lot yeah. of bouncing tape, a lot of like coming up with loops, a lot of like fixing and, and oh, the, the, the end actually should be the beginning, not doing sort of the opposite of that. Like just me singing and playing uh, some, some tunes. I should mention though, Kraz, yeah. I'm sure you've done this over the last 15 months, but like late night, couple glasses of wine calls with your friends. Katie, my wife is just great at just being like, let's just call Nathan Moore, you know? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, let's talk to him on FaceTime. So we, we actually FaceTimed him once and he, he told me that Al Howard has put out like two tunes a day for like the last 15 months, like insane, wow. like writing so many lyrics, writing pages and pages of words, recording. And Nathan uh, was sort of just eyeing him and watching him do all that. And, and I told Nathan that I was working on some tunes, but my heart, the hardest part for me was the lyrics. I'd come up with maybe some syllable singing type words or right, right. come up with my own words and then go for it and then listen back and be like, eh, it's kind of there, it's kind of not. And, and Nathan was like, you should hit up Al and use some of his words and just see, see what that's like. And I also, I'm sure you've done this, but yeah. I've never done this where I've had someone else's lyrics on the computer screen listening to my song and then being like oh will those work will those words work there yeah yeah and and then you're it's kind of amazing because you're looking you're looking at all these words and you're, and you're like they they totally can work like there's there's so many possibilities once you're looking at lyrics versus trying to come up with them yourself it's yeah, such a yeah. slower process for yeah me. yeah being an instrumentalist and diving into lyric writing and, and albums with words, like that's a new thing for me, basically. I mean, three, four years new, you know? Right, right. You know, so it was really easy to plop his words into my songs. So all these new songs that are coming out have the majority are, are all his lyrics. Wow. Of course, I would change them up a little or like, be like oh we repeat that that'll be the chorus you know i definitely did a lot of editing with his words it wasn't yeah. just like copy and paste perfect you know it was definitely like oh you know or like there was maybe one line that i liked that i wrote that i would put in there so it's yeah kind of a tag team effort but more more al than me i would say and it works so i recorded it i sent it to nathan and al and nathan like called me up and was like i've never heard you sing that many words in your entire life because he's he's a really good writer and really just you just see that he can write at any moment there's just words coming out of his pen like all right, the time right. so i just uh he sent me you know i was like al one al two al three i just like made all i had like 10 pages of al's lyrics and uh and that really was a fun new thing for me to discover for this new new record that that oh that's so cool that's such a cool process i've always been like curious how you know like 
Robert Hunter and Garcia wrote. Yeah, and, same here. And like, you know, Bernie Toppin and Elton John. I've always like dreamt about that type of collaboration of just being like, oh man, you could just put together such amazing music either around the lyrics or or opposite. Like, so in your case, did you already have all the instrumentals and then put the, the lyrics in? Or was there certain cases also where you came up with music to the lyrics? No, it was always, for me, it's always like the groove and the loop and the A section and the B section and the two parts that might go together. And then and then maybe I'll improvise a, a moog line over the top and then that becomes the melody. And then, that, yeah. then I change the move to a singing line. No, it's never lyrics first. Like, like imagining Bob Dylan just in the band, like those guys writing out, typing a typewriter on the kitchen table all right. day and then, right. and then like coming up with the music afterwards. Yeah. It's always like been like that for me. I, I actually considered, and I, I think I might even just put out this record also as instrumentals because I, I consider just putting it out as an instrumental record because I do just like the way they sound as instrumentals, even right. without the, the lyrics and the, and the words and, and the melody. They're kind of just nice to listen to as just grooves. And I also kind of like when records are like that, you know, like the B-side or like you, know, you get like three records and whatever, and one record is all those songs, but as instrumentals. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, I, I like that. I, so anyway, I think I might do that as well. Years ago, I've worked a lot with a guy named Dave Gutter lyrically and he and I have written a lot of songs together but we got to work with Aaron Neville on on Aaron Neville's last album and he sent us a book of 50 poems and said can you make this into songs and that was like the coolest process ever we actually went up to Vermont like and hung out in a house up there and just like made music some of it was instrumentals that I'd made like in in preparation to that and then a lot of it was like okay let's come up with a groove and find these lines and these crazy poems and and like do this like Tetris kind of thing um, but that was such a fun process unfortunately I always have to kind of sit there I do make the music first and then it always is like okay lyrics are always the harder part um, <laughs> yeah. but well uh, I mean you and I both I feel like you and I both come from the same sort of school right of like yeah yep. just you know learning music as a kid loving music getting into like funk getting into like playing and then getting into like jazz and getting into the players and just wanting to be a, a badass musician like you know guitar night bb kings right, you know right. famous jazz legends brad right. bar eric you know you know what i mean like me it's like wow i randomly thought about that but yeah. uh you know like we come from that school of like just wanting to be great musicians and then you kind of realize you're like oh I forgot about the singing part like i mean exactly i definitely sang as a kid i'm sure you did too right and like Absolutely. whatever rock bands and like whatever but then you get into all this sort of studying of music and you just push that aside you're like whatever i'm not a singer i always hated the sound of my own voice forget it i want to learn how to play like oscar peterson and bill evans and brad meldow and, and right right Lonnie smith and you know uh, all sorts of and then you and then you i don't know then you just I, th- I think maybe moving to woodstock also brought that out in me like yeah hanging out with with Amy Helm and like all these great musicians, they're like, Oh yeah, you just do a harmony on that too. You know, you know, and you're like, I'm like, I don't really sing. They're like, like all the musicians in Woodstock sing. So it's like, if you don't sing, everyone's like, what, what do you mean? You don't sing. (laughs) So it's kind of like, I think that brought it out in me too. A little, it's like, Oh dude, just sing. You did sing. You were in like the choir in high school. You were in the rock band, but like when you were 15 and you sang Hey Jude with Uncle Frank and all your all the Beneventos around the piano. All like when you were a kid, like why can't you sing? Well, my dad loves to sing. It's in there, so it's nice to 
nice to just bring that out and be like, right, that's got to be able to do that. Yeah. I also got to a point personally where I was still listening to jazz and, and funk and all that stuff, but I mostly was listening to singers and songwriters and, you know, where I got to the point where I was like, Oh, you know, I want to, and I, I had started writing songs before I was actually singing them, but I, cause I, I got into the craft of writing songs with lyrics and I'd been producing and doing some of that. And right. then it was kind of like, actually it was when I was making my first real like sol- solo album where I started demoing the tracks and I was, I was going to have other singers initially. I was like, I'm going to play and have other singers, which I know you've done some of that too. Um, right, that's, that's also opened up the door for me as well with, with this Cal from Rebel Bucket. I had her sing on a couple songs. No, I remember that. I was going to ask you about that, the evolution from, cause I know your first record, she was on there. And then as you kind of evolved as a solo artist, you started singing things yourself um, yeah. and, and writing, writing the songs on your own and whatnot. But, uh, was that also, were you listening to more, you know, vocal music at that point too? I was, I was just going to say definitely, but then I'm thinking I always did like, yeah. even with, even with Joe touring with the duo, like we listened to like the shins and like Wilco. Right. Right. And like also like you know, all sorts of stuff. So I always listen to tunes with, with lyrics and I, uh, yeah. So maybe not anymore than before um so but i you know i remember going to a festival and seeing rubble bucket play in like i don't know early like 2012 or 11 or maybe even earlier than that and i was like whoa this band is rocking like cow was out there singing and i had known them as like a almost afro beat sort of band or i don't i don't know I, i i actually never really checked them out too much but i didn't really know what they were all about but thought they were more instrumental and almost afro or whatever. Right. And I saw them re- more recently back then and was like, oh my God, these guys are like the talking heads meets, I don't know, some other modern cool band, rock band. And she was singing and they were just killing it with the horns, you know? And I was like, oh my God, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get Cal to sing on, right. on a couple of tunes on Tiger Face and got her to sing on one song, This Is How It Goes, which is the first step into hearing my music with a singer. Right, right. Which is crazy to think about. You're like, why haven't you done that? Take took you this long? Like, you know, anyway, a lot of people have even said a lot of my tunes sound like songs without lyrics, you know? Like right, right. I was imagining a female sort of thin, higher voice on it anyway. So just to hear that, was to get that sort of fulfilled was awesome to hear that. I didn't even write the lyrics. Katie, my wife wrote the lyrics. Oh, really? I didn't know that. And she, yeah, she was just like, I, I sort of had the syllables and, and she kind of was like, Oh, it's, she kind of just like decoded it really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then, and then she, she just went out and did three verses. She, she wrote them. Wow. Um, and there was no hesitation. There was no change this word to that word. There was no change this melody to whatever it was. Just like okay, it's done. It was really crazy, and and to this day, since Tiger Face, I've always had like Katie come in the studio. I'm like, honey, come help me out here. You right, know, I got right. these lines, and she's like, oh, try that, try this. She's like, she's a kind of a listener, a kind of person who enjoys music and is deeply involved in the words. Right. And when I hear music, I'm deeply involved in like the bass line or right, like the, right. the groove and the way that they are any, I'm just like listening to the sound and like, you know, like you said, we're also engineering things. So you're also hearing the sound of everything and you're like, wow. And then the words are like third. Yeah. For me, yeah. Or, you know, or like, 
But Katie's always been into the lyrics for even just riding in the car with her. She's like, so just be like, oh, well, that was deep. And I'm like, wait, what? What? I, I was listening to the guitar part or, you know, right. Or, so she, you know, I like going to her for advice and she's, she's super helpful. And, and our relationship is, is great. And we like, she'll kind of like be like, nah, that's terrible. Yeah, you know? I'll that. be like, yeah. We're like, oh yeah, that's totally terrible. I agree with you. You know, or like, I'm never like, well, I kind of like, and she's just like, nah, it's not cool. I'm like, yeah, yeah, totally. I don't know. Totally. It's the first time. <laughs> no, no. But yeah. I really like, I like, I mean, you know, yeah, I like getting her input and she really says it like it is. And then, you know, the next day she might be like, did you try that or not? And, and you know, rarely I'll be like, no, nah, I decided not to. But most times she's just like dead on. She's great. Yeah, I have a similar relationship with my, you know, my wife. She'll, if I play her, she she's kind of the most important critic to me than a lot of my music friends and stuff. Also, because her reaction is really pure. It's not necessarily tainted by all of our musical, like <laughs> over analytical, uh, minds. I'm kind of the same way where the lyrics are important to me, but I don't necessarily dig into them until I've heard the song a few times. Maybe, you know what I mean? I guess it depends, yeah. but if, if it's dense musically, I need to like get through those layers. And then like the third or fourth time I hear it, I start being like, Oh man, like there's songs I've listened to my whole life that I didn't really understand what the lyrics meant until you know, a certain time that I listened to it, which like, which could be 20 years later. Same here. I, I, I had that, that reaction. Um, I forget what song it was. I was in the car and yeah, Katie was like, she sang it. I'm like, oh, that's what they say there. She's like, you never knew they, <laughs> they said that. And I was like, she's like, you, what I thought, but I've lived the same thing. Like I've heard the song for a long, over 20 years and I never knew what that word was. We'll be right back after this short break. So you mentioned that your dad loves to sing and I was curious a little bit like what your like musical upbringing was like, like what kind of music was in your house? Were your parents musicians? No, no. My parents weren't musicians. No, not yeah. like, you know, some friends I know whose parents are musicians. Like, like yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> my dad loves music. My mom loves music too. They always had good tunes in the house. My mom loved Motown. Right. We had like, like the big chill soundtrack was like, was like on all the time. You know, my dad loved um, rock and roll, like, but he also loved, um, you know, because my dad's from Italy. He came to the States when he was 15. Oh, okay. So my dad, my uncle, my aunt, my two aunts, they all, they came over to the States. But so they, my dad really loved Italian music, like Neapolitan music, like Funicula, Funicula. Like, oh, solo mio, like, and then also some, just, he knew some really good singers uh, that he, that he loved to listen to. So I learned a lot of that growing up. My dad also loved jazz. Like, I remember like listening to jazz in the car a lot with my dad and like hearing it, like when I was younger and being like, I don't like this. What is right. this? I don't like, <laughs> I don't like the sound of a saxophone. I don't right. even like, what is this? You know? And I, I wasn't drawn to it. I was like Zeppelin, Cream, The Who. Right. Uh, in the meters, you know, James Brown. And, and that's when I, and then maybe around then is when I started liking jazz. So I got getting into the, 
the sound of the saxophone. <laughs> right. But anyway, but I, I, I was raised like in a great environment. Like every Sunday we would have Sunday pasta with all the Beneventos and we'd like eat a bunch, play a bunch of music. Uh, my uncle played guitar. Um, my cousins like to also play guitar. So we would just like play whatever. But yeah, I grew up, I grew up listening to, uh, you know, Italian music as well as like funk music popular rock tunes and and i had like you know bands battle the bands back in the day in high school all that all that stuff it was uh northern new jersey in the burbs total tight italian family got way into music and way into jazz in high school and then eventually went to boston's where i met you right yeah yeah music yeah it was always a love for music everybody loved music everybody like if my dad would whistle something and he'd be like bunky yeah, that's my nickname. We'd be like, Bucky, yeah. come, come learn this, listen to this. And we would, you know, and he'd show me the melody and let me know if I was playing it wrong, you know, or right. Did he play anything? No, nothing. He can't, he can whistle really well and he can sing really well. And he, when he sings, like you imagine him like singing, like in the piazza, like to someone <laughs> like, whoa, like, and he's, he's even said like, I want to, I've always wanted to be a singer. Like, I'm so jealous of you and your, and your job like he's he's definitely like no but thanks to him i have my job you know he was very supportive my mom and my dad were very supportive of of all this stuff did you start taking lessons at at a young age yeah my parents bought what's really weird is that my parents bought a piano for the house but then as i'm saying that i'm realizing that like back then like in the early 80s or, or late 80s i feel like all my friends also had pianos in their houses and everybody took piano lessons. Like, what was the deal with that? Like, that's true. Uh, you know, like, I don't feel like many people are still doing that, which is why there's like free pianos everywhere on Craigslist and, and, and everywhere else. Yeah. I do remember that too. I remember that. That's true. I, we had one growing up. I mean, my dad did play a little bit, but he was in, in a similar fashion. Like he would learn the melody. He wasn't like a schooled musician, but he would like, yeah. he would play along with like Beatles tunes and, and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. And he loved, he would sing and they'd have little jam sessions with his friends. But, uh, and that's definitely that's cool. where I got excited about it. Cause I remember taking some lessons when I was really young and like, they would show you classical pieces and it wasn't until I saw people jamming and having fun with it. And, and that's when I really wanted to, to like play along, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had, I had a similar thing too, where I was, I was into it and I liked, I liked playing, especially like the end of Hey Jude with like yeah. all the cousins, you know, just that jam. Yeah. And you're just jamming over and over again. And you're like, yeah, what is that? That's awesome. What is that so much fun? And then like playing with friends and like playing like, evil ways or something or like you know like <laughs> yeah. these two chord jams you're like yeah or like we played a lot of doors songs in high school i love yeah. the doors I love yeah it. yeah and like jamming on all that stuff I was like a really really yeah that's when it, i got opened up to it and really was like oh like that's how it's supposed to be like really fun and cool like this and feel you know you really do get like a feeling like i probably started taking lessons when i was like six or seven to like 14 Right. You know, you're just like a dorky, weird kid trying to learn music and you're learning, you're playing soccer, you're playing whatever, you're friends, everything. There's so many other things happening in life. You, And then when you're like, I don't know, fifth, right? In high school somewhere, something clicks or it doesn't. Yeah. You know, but something clicked and I, and I got into it and had a band and started jamming a bunch after school. But it's so funny. It's like nerdy, but it's also like the coolest 
in, most indescribable feeling, you know, yeah. you're like totally dorking out and like learning everything you can about it. But it's like, then there's these like weird, but really you're just like putting vibrations out in the air and it's so deep. Music is like this weird duality of those brains and, and uh, total emotions. It's really weird. But right around that time, I, my par I, I cut out this, I'll never forget this. I cut out in the want ads, you know, of course you're always looking for like, you know, my parents got me a synthesizer and an amp and I got into like that kind of stuff. And then, and the one, you know, you're like looking through the want ads for like cool musical stuff here. I found an ad for a Hammond organ and I was like, Oh, like I got, so I love the sound of the organ. Like I'll never yeah. forget sitting in the car and listening to like in memory of Elizabeth Reed, being like, what yeah. is that? You know, or even like <clears throat> mentioning, santana like the organ yeah, organ yeah. was like something that was just like what is that i want that and then i had a subscription to keyboard magazine and there was like a you know like 1991 it was like this you know beauty and the beast like this like a whole article whole magazine about the the b3 and i just was so into it wanted one so bad found an advertisement in the want ads cut it out has of course been mentioning to my parents, you know, all the time about it, always wanted one, left it in my, in my drawer, this little cutout and went to like music camp for a week. And while I was at music camp, it was my birthday. So we didn't celebrate my birthday at the house. And then when I got home, the Hammond organ was in the living room. Wow. Parents found the one at thing and they bought the Hammond. They bought the Hammond. So I, I went home, like they were really supportive of me. So yeah, I had a Hammond in my house in, uh, when I was 16 in New Jersey and I just, yeah, that that's, that's like, life changing. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I was at it all the time. And I was so confused though, too, because I was like, you turn it on and you're like, what, what? there was no like YouTube or like how to play the Hammond organ. You know, I was like, you just kind of knew the sounds and you had like maybe the digital patch on your Kawaii K one or whatever, but the, you, you never knew like how to make the sound. I remember like pulling the drawbars out and being like, I don't think my organ sounds like the other organs, you know, like, and I think, I think we got the wrong one. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like it's, you know, there's a, there's an art to getting that sound, you know, obviously John Modeski is like the master at that. I feel yeah, like just yeah. getting in there and moving the sound around with all those drawbars. There's so many things you can do. Um, but, uh, you know, anyway, that, yeah, that was a life changing event right there. Uh, took the, took the Hammond up to Berkeley, up to Boston. Right. Right. And, uh, it's just I loved it. Loved the Hammond for a while, um, or still do. But yeah, definitely had you, my time. Did you start learning um, like the independence and kind of like playing bass lines with your left hand at that point? I did. That I did. I got it. Yeah, I got really into that actually yeah. playing yeah. left hand bass lines and soloing. I actually loved that. I right. uh, big trying to figure that out, and then also figuring out how to. How, figuring out how to make it seem like you know second nature just like whatever was was really cool to sort of discover that and then to incorporate the feet you yeah. know that was really cool too um and then learning about like hand and modifications like you can mod it so you could run it into a fender twin too and then you can mod it so you could you know instead of hitting the switch with your hand you could get it so there's a foot switch and then you can also get this pedal that you can plug anything into the Leslie if you wanted to, like right. all these things, you know, right, just like right. turn, turned it all. So yeah, that was, that was cool. And then, you know, obviously touring around with Joe was, uh, 
was really fun to learn a lot about that. Yeah, I was going to ask the the origin the origin of your relationship with Joe because did you guys know each other in Jersey before Berkeley? Yeah, I mean, I should have mentioned that even when you were like musical upbringing because I did. I met Joe in like seventh grade, so I, I that's crazy. So I've known Joe for a, a long time. We met in middle school, fell in love with Led Zeppelin and like Rush <laughs> and, yep, uh, yep. and then like jammed at his house like a couple times. We were in like the bands, the jazz band or whatever also, you know, the play band. And then, uh, let's see, we went to different high schools though. That was the yep. thing. We, yep. we, we hung out in seventh and eighth grade and then Joe went to Indian Hills high school. I went to Ramapo. Joe was in my grade, but he was friends with the, kids in the grade older than me. So he would come to Ramapo and hang out with the older kids and they yeah. were in a band and they, I like totally looked up to them. They were, he had a band called lady rain. Nice. With, nice. Uh, uh, did he mention this? And when it, did I, you guys talk? He, he, he did. Anyway. He didn't mention lady rain. I love that name. <laughs> Dude, he got, so he was in lady rain yeah. and you know, one of the, the singers was in, uh, American Idol, Constantine Maroulis. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when him. he, uh, you know, he was Dean Maroulis in high school, and yeah, he yeah. was like the front man. And Dean was in that band. Joe, yeah. Um, Steve Deitch, who's yeah. uh, the keyboard player with Citizen Cope. Yeah, I remember. Yep, yeah. Um, you, you probably know him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's just funny to think about the musicians then from when we were like fifteen and sixteen are still musicians now, which is yeah, really yeah. kind of cool. But yeah, so Joe and I met then, and then uh, actually, and then when I went to Berkeley, Joe uh, came to visit and was considering coming to Berkeley. He came to visit me at uh, 150 Mass Ave. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like the first version of the dorms, like not to modify, I think they're way more upgraded now, but like he came back in the day. That's where the whole lettuce crew met was all yeah. in that dorm, yeah. It's like so nasty, but we were oh, like, yeah. I don't I didn't think, it, I don't know. I was just happy to be away from home, like yeah. in college, hanging out. Joe came to visit me and was considering going to going to music school, but he he didn't he didn't do it, which is great. He just he moved out to Colorado and joined Fat Mama and yep, just went yep. on tour and becoming like known all all across the country with Fat Mama and in the jam scene when like all this stuff was like starting right. Like so, Joe, I feel like Joe had a kind of a bit of a following, right? Like with Fat Mama, did you guys tour like Lettuce and Fat Mama? Or Soul Live? Yeah, Soul Live did shows with Flat Fat Mama and maybe Lettuce did too. I know, I remember specifically Soul Live played with Fat Mama uh, in a few places. I remember the Stone Church in, in New Hampshire, specifically that gig. But uh, there, I'm sure there were others. Um, I also, you know, we did a bunch of shows with The Slip and I was good friends with them. And I think that's where I initially met you was like through them. And oh, okay, yeah. you were friends with Andrew or, or you were friends with them at Berkeley or in from, from the Boston scene. Cause you guys had the house on right. the same street. So I didn't live in that house, but Basker did like the whole lettuce right. crew did. So I used to hang out at that house and you guys were like mm-hmm. next door. Were you, did you live there too? Or did I just meet you there? At, at one, I would always be there. Yeah. But, Allegheny and then at street. One, Allegheny street. And then yeah. at one point they had a roommate, Kate, Cunningham, do you know Kate? Yes, anyway, yes, I do remember her. So yeah. we we like 
started going out and yeah. then of course then i was like there all the time right okay that's all yeah I re- those how that that whole little strip that there that street it was like fat bag you remember the band fat bag dude i yeah yeah of they, they all lived there and then it was like the lettuce crew mark kelly for lived there for a while who now's in the roots and they had the the band uh the squad I don't know it's if you remember totally, that. of course yeah. I remember it's gone. Yeah. I'm going, this is going, this is good for my brain. I'm going back into the memory yeah. banks there yeah. and picturing Allegheny street, this one sort of quiet, you know, street with like Ivy growing everywhere, kind of like dark street. Yeah. But meanwhile, there's like these two houses that are pumping music out 24 seven, the slip house and the lettuce yeah. house are. It's so funny too, because that little, scene that has been that we were kind of a part of is still the same scene we're a part of (laughs) you know what i mean it's like the same crew like of course it's expanded a lot but i was talking to joe about this too it's like you know you guys especially like with jay right here's playing like the greek theater and these massive places and like so many different people we know but we're all like are doing these huge shows but we're all kind of like the same nucleus of of people from like 30 years or 25 years right We're all like from the same weird mama, like yeah. this weird, like, like just, we have all, she's got some big arms. Like you're all the way out there in California doing yeah. amazing stuff with all these amazing musicians. Joe is just doing great, blowing up. J-Rad, Deitch, killing it. The Slip yeah. guys, the Bar Brothers, all yeah. those guys are just destroying, just still making great music. And we're all really creative and not, I feel like anytime, even seeing you, I haven't seen you in so long. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm just like immediately seeing you is like seeing, it's like seeing a relative or, yeah, you know, like a, absolutely. like a cousin that you're like, Oh yeah, it's Kraz. Yeah. I love Kraz. You know, exactly. like, and we all run love, into each other at know. these festivals and it's kind of like this little, oh, you know, so family funny. that, uh, yeah. And I think during this like lockdown and also me doing this podcast has kind of even made that me appreciate that even more, you know? Right. But it's interesting that we all crossed paths so early. You know what I mean? And and also, what's interesting about all how how well knit and how um, you know how deep rooted and we are just in our musical relationships and friendships with each other. So many people that know you don't know me, and so many people that know me don't know you. Right. So right. we all have we all have these little pockets of like, even though we're like kind of come from the same cloth we all have these different sort of almost genres yep that of music that we're playing and then you get these different fans and you have some co-mingling but there's a lot of like people that would think that i am not friends with adam deitch or right. something you know what right. i mean right. or like i don't know but we we all have our different bags but we're all just like this is funny we've known each other since we were like 16 right right or 18 and we're all you know, we're all still friends and we all could stand, stand on the stage together and jam together. No problem. Even though we're from, we're into different things and have different projects that have different sort of labels, you know, right, so anyway, right. it's kind of cool. So how did you and Joe like reconnect and form, form the duo? After Joe came to Berkeley to visit me and was considering going there, I wasn't in touch with him at all. Really. Right. I mean, this is like pre cell phones and like, always knew after uh going to berkeley and boston that i wanted to come back to jersey lived in the city for a while and did lessons did some random gigs was still like struggling and like working trying to that was a weird time right like early 2000s yeah 
trying to figure out what the heck you're going to do and how you're like, join the email list and, uh, you know, right, right. go to our MySpace page. And, uh, but, you know, the beginnings of all promoting yourself. So right around then, um, I actually lived in Brooklyn. I was going to see Modesky, Martin and Wood at Tonic. Right. I was standing online. It was a really long line. And I had a bunch of beers before showing up. <laughs> and I was like standing online and being like, man, I got to go. I got to find a place to go to the bathroom. So I like went across the street to this bar and went downstairs. And there was like all, all these musicians playing. And it was like Russo on the drums, Peter Stoltzman on keyboards. Wow. Who at that time was going through a vow of silence. So I was like, hey, Peter. And he's like, I was so funny. Um, and then like Stu, Stu probably. And like, Stu Brooks? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, cool, yeah. And, uh, you know, a bunch of friends from Berkeley. And it was, and I was like, well, this is so weird. Like, went in the bathroom, came back, and I was like, Russo, what's up? And he had like, he had like a wrist, wristband on and yeah, like yeah. a bass drum with no front head. It was super jazzy and yeah, like yeah. funky and like, you know, like uh spacey and and weird and uh and i was like dude what how do you know all these guys these are all the guys i went to college with da, da, da. and uh we that's when we re reconnected and then we kept in touch and we played we played some like little jazz gigs here and there and then um and at the beginning of 2002 joe was like hey do you want to play in the Dinning factory every Wednesday. Our, my friend Jake Safranowski books every Wednesday. Yeah. We'll get a hundred bucks. We'll get 50 bucks each. Yeah. Just bring the, bring the organ down. I'll bring a drum kit and we'll just, we'll just play. Yeah. Cause uh, he had done that gig before with like three or four musicians and everybody gets like 25 bucks. And right, he's just right, like, right. Well, but if Marco comes down with his organ, then we make 50 <laughs> bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I was like, that's pretty awesome. Dude. 50 bucks a week is like grocery money for like the week. You yeah. know? My brother had the velour, which was like the studio, which was a recording studio on one side and rehearsal studio on another side. And we had like the little label and it was only a couple blocks from there. So right. I used I to come that. down there. I mean, I feel like I was at some of those first gigs. You, you know? totally were. And you yeah. even played with us. A couple I played times. with you. Well, that was the whole yeah. thing is that, that, uh, invite crads down. He plays for free and then we still get 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Came more of just a duo gig eventually, you know. You came by, a Brad even would come by if he was around. Yeah, people would come and sit in. And then I remember Peter Costello coming with like a taping taper rig. Oh yeah, yeah. And like he was, he had, he just looked like a professional guy that was on the road with whoever. And I, somebody told me that he was on tour with Soul Live or Knew You or whatever. Yep, yep. And I was like, I was like, oh my god, like 
the taper from soul live is here like this is awesome like you know he started out just coming and taping all our shows and then eventually we were like dude you want to just ride with us and like help us <laughs> you know help That's us set up and shit and then like he uh, that evolved into him being our tour manager he like quit his job eventually and became oh, he was our your tour manager, tour manager? eventually wow. at first he was just taping shows um, and then it, it, it evolved into that. In fact, I have a picture of me and Derek Trucks when Derek Trucks first got the Allman Brothers gig at the duo show with and Pete's like behind us, like setting up a taping rig at your show. And we look like babies. This is, you know, oh, it was like over 20 God. years ago. But uh, oh yeah, God, those were amazing. really fun time. The knitting, uh, the knitting factory being there. And then that's. Yeah, uh, how you guys eventually linked up with Mike Gordon, right? Because didn't Mike was in the building that lived up that was he lived upstairs? Because I remember I used to see him out there, and he then did. when I heard you guys were playing with him, I was like, I don't think I was at the show where he came down there, but I was like, I used to see him hanging out, you know, in front of the Knitting Factory. Right, he had that apartment like yeah. right there. We we connected with Mike Gordon um, also because Ropadope. The, right. the record label. So he put out some records on Rope Dope and Andy Hurwitz from Rope Dope was trying to help Mike find a drummer. And Andy knew about Joe just from the, I think he'd come to the knitting factory. And yeah, I think this was before we even made our duo record, which was, which was eventually on Rope Dope. So Joe um, uh, went to Mike's house to audition. Um, right. Right. For it to be in his band or whatever, or just jam or whatever. And I remember being like, that's so cool. Like, we were excited about that connection. And they hit it off. And then Mike would come see us. Eventually, we sort of got out of the knitting factory and we started playing at Tribeca. Remember that? Tribeca oh, yeah. Rock Club. Oh, yeah. We did we did a bunch uh, of gigs there, too. Yeah. So he he came and sat in with us. Actually, he, he came and sat in on Wurlitzer and he had his oh, yeah. long hair. And my parents were at the gig and they're like, who is that old lady that sat down on the keyboard? <laughs> see, he's just like, kind of like, you didn't, you didn't even see his face. I'm like, oh my God, mom, the bass player in Fish. You know, I don't know. Joe and I started touring a lot more. We stopped playing at the Knitting Factory and hit the road a bunch. And Fish, like, remember, they were like, we're breaking up Hiatus, or something, yeah. right? And they took like two years off. Yeah, yeah. And, and those guys were looking for something to do. And I think Mike... It's like, why don't we do like a New Year's run with Marco and Joe? And we were just like, hello, yeah, yeah. sure, that would be yeah. great. Obviously, he's so weird and we're e not equally as weird, but we like to get weird. And yeah. we had like the best time with him. tour with trey and that's when i was just like oh man we're gonna be huge like joe's gonna have a tour bus i'm gonna have a tour bus definitely yeah. and then we did that summer tour um and phil esh was also opening right right or co-billing it was yeah. like every other night yeah and then joe and i went back to the duo world and it was like every basically everything was the same we would play the same shows as right. the duo right um i think we thought that it was going to be like this crazy life-changing you know like right like you play with somebody famous or something like big like that and you think like oh man like we're gonna just 
everything is just going to be like changed this. from there. I mean, I feel like it it did make a big impact, but oh, absolutely, it's one of those things. You know, we Soul Live toured with the Stones, and it was like you know we kind of thought the same thing. You know, oh, you toured with the Stones, and then but I remember specifically like playing like shitty clubs in between. Like we'd play arenas with the Stones, and then we'd like fly somewhere and play some shitty club. You know, <laughs> and like you know with carrying our own shit with like a right. horrible green room and like the runner I'd, I'd be like I swear we're opening for the stones tomorrow man like <laughs> you right. anything better than like warm Budweiser <laughs> you know what I mean back totally. here <laughs> but quickly you realize that it's just all about you know I mean of course there's certain bands that just get to a level where you're always at that level but I think like being a musician period you have to be ready for every oh, God, level yeah. and every yeah. every type of gig that's you know? so true. Yeah. And it's not like playing a couple of shows with so-and-so like the Rolling Stones or members yeah. of fish or which are totally different things, but um, you know, it's not like all of a sudden you're going to be like, like everyone else is going to like your other music, you right, know, like, right, right. <laughs> which is to them, your other music, you know, versus what they saw you, what they saw you do with the other guys. But anyway, it's an amazing experience to think about that. It was four or five people on a bus Trey, Mike, Joe, and I, and then the tour manager, and that's it. Right, really? For like three weeks. Wow. Yeah. And it was like, we really, you know, if you're living on a bus with you, like, you get real close, real yeah. fast, yeah. you know? And what was the music that you guys, I don't remember what you guys were doing musically. Was it? Actually, we did two duo songs, two yeah. songs that Joe and I wrote, which yeah. is great. Yeah. And then we did a bunch of Trey stuff like solo stuff that he was working on at the time. Cause that guy is just a madman, yeah. always working on all sorts of stuff all the time. Prior to the tour, we recorded on that record. I think it's called bar 17. Okay. So we were, we knew a bunch of those tunes from the recording that we did in Brooklyn. And, uh, and then we did some mic, a couple of Mike's tunes and then crazy weird covers. We did that, uh, that cover, uh, the Paul McCartney song, uncle, Al- uncle Albert. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, um, so we did some funny, funny little covers, but yeah, mainly Trey stuff. I never played like, so, you know, like summer arenas, like big, like the right. Garden State Arts Center to have, uh, you know, my parents and my uncle and people come see me there. It was, they were just like, what? And I was yeah. freaking out about that too. But anyway, yeah, it was huge. It was great. Three weeks. It was so it was really amazing that we did that. And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. Trey is like a whirlwind of energy. And uh, yeah, we had a good time. I remember being a um, little, we were just talking about like the whole like Cancer Leo thing because yeah, I'm yeah. On, right on the cusp of Cancer Leo. I remember being a little in cancer phase at that moment right? and being in my bunk a lot. And like, I just bought my first laptop. I actually bought it from Charlie Hunter because he was yeah. like, ah, forget this. I don't want a computer. Yeah. And I bought like this old MacBook or whatever. And I like downloaded logic and had like an M box. Oh, I had the same rig. You know? And I was just like, I need to learn this. I love this. This is crazy. And I would always be, I was in my bunk a lot, my headphones on little MIDI keyboard and like the microphone, like in the bunk. Like, I don't even know how I did that. And uh, the curtain would open and be Trey be like, what are you doing? (laughs) And I'm just like, what? Like, I'm working on a song. And yeah. he'd be like, let me listen. And I give him the headphones and then you see him smiling. And he's like, hold on, hold on. I'll be right back. And he like gets his guitar. He's like standing on one leg, his foot on his 
on his knee, like playing guitar. I had holding in my bed, in my bunk, holding the microphone up to his guitar. Oh, that's awesome. And I recorded, um, this like he, his one part that he came up for this one song. And it's actually, and I called it bus ride because we were, we were on tour on the bus and, right. and Shrey wrote the, the band. Well, it's the banjo line. Cause I redid it on a banjo for some weird reason. Anyway, it's the first song off my first record. It's called bus ride. And Trey wrote that banjo part. I was I was I was in the bunk a lot creating, and they were out just partying, and yeah, I was partying yeah. too, of course. But most nights I was in the bunk, excited about my new my new toy. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I used to set up every single version of a studio thing that I could on the bus. I mean, and I would mainly I would just get ideas out of it. But I just remember trying spending so much t- like trying to rig things up and have these different, and it evolved to get smaller and smaller. At first, I'd bring like right. an MPC drum machine oh and God. like a little like VS eight eighty at one point <laughs> digital thing, and then I got a computer, <laughs> and then, but I was always like trying to you know, actually make decent recordings on the bus, which never really, really <laughs> happened. Right. But it's, it is, it is cool. Cause when, you know, you're on the, there's a lot of dead time, you know, a lot of downtime on the bus, you know, yeah, and you're, tons. you know, you're just, sometimes your, your brain is going and you're like, I need something to do. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's really nice to have a station like that set up where you're like, you're going to put your headphones on and like work on something. Yeah, yeah. And then kind of get exhausted by it and be like, okay, cool. You know, make a little idea. Do you still bring recording stuff on the road? I don't. Do you? I, I sometimes do. It, it depends. Because I don't really do like, I haven't done like a bus tour in a while. I'm usually flying in, yeah. doing a little few shows and then coming home. The, the, the bus tours we do with J-Rad are only like three or four days. Right. The music is so intense and everybody is wants to get back home to their families or whatever too. Yeah. So we don't, we're, no one's dying to go out on a 10 day run right? playing four hours of music, you know, every night it's, it is exhausting. So the, the tours are only three or four days with J-Rad, which sometimes you're like, eh, uh, you know, maybe I'll bring like a little MIDI keyboard or something, but I'm not, I'm not opening up logic. I, it's probably because I I never even had us like in Brooklyn. I never had like that big of a space to record in, you know? So right. even just having a laptop and, and logic and, and in any space was just so exciting anyway. So now that I have the studio here in Woodstock, maybe that's why I'm, because I'm always working when I'm at home. Yeah. And then like headphones on recording a lot here. So then when I go on tour, it's maybe it's more nice now to just be like, ah, I'm on I'm just tour. Do my thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think when I'm on the road and I get an idea, I just like now I'm like, oh, I can just use my voice memos or whatever, yeah. and then wait till I get home. I have the same thing. So when, now that I have a studio yeah. at home, it's a little more like, okay, same kind of yeah. thing. It's like I get home and then I can actually make it sound decent. Yeah, you know? I do like having some sort of toy, some sort of noodle noodle yeah. noodleable device whether it be a cheap keyboard or a little glitch machine or something or yeah. a, or even like a cool app that like sounds 
you know, on your phone or something. It's fun to have something to mess with on the road. I mean, I do think the ideal way to do it is is to go out and do, you know, a four four day run. Although there there is something to be said for being on the road for a couple of weeks and really gelling as a band. Oh man, that is that is an amazing feeling. It's it's you get to the point where you're like, I could just keep on going. Like, let's just make this. Let's just do this. We did um, with my band uh, a few years back. We did a tour when we did a bus tour. And we did 15 shows in a row. Yeah, yeah. And and that was like, well, maybe it was more. I think it was like 17 shows. And yeah. it was just awesome. Such a good feeling. Yeah. Like, also exhausting and just kind of amazed at, at all of us that we could even do this, you know. Um, but, like, a really good feeling. And I remember Karina being like, I think I could this. Like, we're on a roll. Like, I, I'm into this. Yeah. Like, yeah. go to bed at, like, 4 or 5 a.m., wake up at, like, 2 p.m., you know, sound check, yeah. dinner, gig, up till 4 a.m. <laughs> and just keep doing it. You know, keep on doing it over and over again. It's, it's a nice rhythm. And it's a nice feeling having someone else driving you that's a professional driver because that's an overlooked thing for any touring band or, or musician or anybody that sees people on the road. They don't realize that, like, the driver, just that is, is a job in itself. Oh, yeah. So it's nice to have a professional driver because... Sometimes you like turn your buddy, you know, driving and he's just as tired as you. And you're like, oh my God, this it is so unsafe. Yeah, that's not you know? safe. Yeah. So it's nice to know. That's I do like the bus tours like that because there's a, there's a, you know, guy that's driving. That's his one job, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you need that. Please stick around. We'll be right back after this short break. So I talked to Joe a little bit on the show about the kind of inception of J-Rad. And, you know, from what I understand, you guys were doing Bustle, right? Which is the Zeppelin project with, for people that don't know, with, with Scott Metzger. Uh, and and Drywitz was all, is also part of Bustle, right? Yeah, Bustle was something that came through Jake Sufranowski. He was right. celebrating a birthday and he wanted... Joe and I to play with Scott and he wanted us to play Zeppelin tunes. It was yeah. like a specific, like getting hired to play a birthday party. He's yeah. like, I want you to do this. And so we did it as a trio for a while. Oh, like shit. The, boat, okay. the boat cruise, um, the rocks off. I boat cruise. think I might've been at that too, actually. Of course we were, we were all just huge ween fans, you know, right, I don't know. Right. Just yep. always loved ween. And then we heard that I forget, like Scott was maybe friends with some of those guys. I forget. Yeah. And then something came up where Dave had heard that we were doing bustle and Dave told Scott that um, if they ever, if we ever needed a bass player, Dave knows every single, he knows every Zeppelin song. Right. Right. So if you, if you ever needed somebody, he would do it. So we were like, Oh my God, the bass player from Ween would be down to do this. This is amazing. So we had, Dave come over to my house, my apartment in Brooklyn, and we jammed. We actually, we stood there and we're like, uh, so what do you want to play? And we're like, I don't know, song remains the same. And we like, look at Dave. We like just are meeting Dave. And he's yeah. just, we're like, you want to run it? And he's like, no, I know it. You know, no. We're like, all right. Counted off and we played song remains the same. 
no mistakes. Yeah. Just the four of us. I'll never forget it. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then Bustle in your head became, you know, Joe, Scott, Dave, and I. And it became a thing that people heard about and liked. So we would do little things here and there. We'd fly to California and do a little run, do a little, you know, when the duo had some off days. We actually it was nice, kind of a nice break because the duo was really busy. Right. And then Bustle kind of appeared and we were like, oh, let's just go play Zeppelin songs with our friends, you right, know, right. take a little weight or time or whatever and also be able to make some money but do something else right, and we also right. get to play with each other that kind of did well we played colorado we played festivals you know you saw us out yeah. there yeah and then jay i think joe probably told you this but there was a gig at the brooklyn bowl i think it was supposed to be dean ween playing there at brooklyn bowl but he canceled last minute i think joe thought it'd be kind of funny if we played dead tunes instead of zeppelin tunes and we'll get you know, we'll get Tommy to come in because Tommy knows a lot of the yeah. dead tunes. Right, right. So I think that's where, I think that's like this, the beginning of it. It was kind of a mistake of like gig getting canceled or you know, somebody pulling out. And then, and then I think like a couple of years went by and we only did a couple of gigs, but it like kind of was growing up, going uphill. And then, you know, and then I guess over the last five years or so, six years, it just really took off. Joe and Pete really figured out I mean, they already knew how, how, how it could go like this and yeah, how, yeah. what we needed to do to make it grow quickly. Yeah. And not, and like, he was like, look, if we just do this, I'm telling you, it's gonna, yeah. it's gonna work. You know, like yeah. lots of emails about how, like, look, let's just work on this. Let's rehe- we rehearsed right. so much. We rehearsed a lot. And, and, and Joe and Costello knew the dates, knew the people, knew the, you know, everything, the venues, the promoters, and really, really, you know, sculpted out what the year would be like. And everybody was like, are you in? Are we in? Like, are we going to do this? Like this could potentially could be a really, really, you know, before anything got as, as kind of big as it is now, they were like, look, let's just all go for it and like commit to it. Yeah, that's interesting because I've talked to Pete about that quite a bit. He and and Joe, they both crafted it very meticulously. Yeah, um, yeah. And having done a few bands and so many different projects, they had the education, or all of you guys did, of like what to do. Um, yeah. Yeah, and absolutely. I think also after that first gig, having the buzz that it had, you know what I mean? Or even those first initial runs and, you know, what you guys did in that first year, you know, and then also just talking, I'm also talking to Scott because Scott and I had started doing like some duo acoustic stuff and oh, right. on the side and, and he would be like, oh yeah, I know my entire year of this yeah. so I can do other things. That was really smart because then all of you guys could still pursue your solo things and all the other things that you were doing, you know, for me, it was a little hectic because I was really busy with my own stuff, right. Putting out records, playing 150 shows of my own stuff a year and still being a total road dog, you know, going pretty hard. And, and I remember then getting that thrown at me and at my manager, Kevin and us being like, Oh my God, like we have to juggle. Like there's only 52 weekends in a year. Like how many, how many shows can you really do? You know what I mean? It was really rough. I mean, I, I, I remember like being gone a lot, you know, like 
during those first couple of years of juggling my schedule with J-Rad's schedule. That was crazy. Yeah. But, it, but you're right. It did. Everything went up a notch, you know, yeah, it brought, yeah. it brought uh, my shows up. It brought everything. It just, and it's great. You know, you see, I, I do a show and then I'll see a bunch of J-Rad fans and you're yeah. like, Oh, awesome. Like, thank you guys. Like, yeah. Way to represent. We played our first three shows like a couple of weeks ago, and that felt yeah. awesome. We played right. at the Westville Music Bowl in, in New Haven, Connecticut. That was awesome. It felt really great. You know, it's like, all right, we're back. We're back, baby. started doing this you know doing j-rad on like more of a consistent uh level like how did you feel about the music were you were you a fan of the grateful dead like did you know their music really growing up i definitely knew the grateful dead i was definitely a fan i saw them twice in high school like giant stadium steve miller band opened up first and then i saw that show too all right um Never forget buying like this tie-dye t-shirt on the lot, like super, I don't know. It was awesome. I loved it. It was like the first tie-dye t-shirt I bought at a Grateful Dead concert and had it for so long and had holes in it and everything. Eventually I had, had to retire it, but I'll never forget those two shows. I saw Steve Miller band. The second year was um, Sting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Opened up. I liked them and had their tapes and listened to them and I talked about like funk and like James Brown and thing and like the who and cream and Zeppelin earlier. And like the something that something about the grateful dead was like a little too country for me. Right. right. Growing up, it was too mellow, even though I loved it. And, but I, I didn't, uh, I wasn't crazy drawn to it. I was more drawn to eventually like, yeah, like electric miles and, and jazz and other things. But yes, I definitely was a fan, but not a hardcore you know, bootleg collector right. didn't know, definitely didn't know um, as many tunes as, as uh, you know, other, you know, fans would, but uh, definitely liked them and saw them, you know, over the last say 10, 10 years or so have definitely grown to appreciate them more and like love them now. Like right. really, really get it now. Like I think it, I was just too young. I like, I don't know. I didn't, I think it was just like, kind of like, even the band for me, uh, growing up, I was, I, I don't know, it was just too country or something. Yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't drawn to it, but now I'm just like, Oh my God, best bands ever. Grateful dead, the band, you know, like, you know, just awesome, awesome music, awesome singing. Definitely have way more vinyl, way more records of grateful dead now than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. I, I love it. I absolutely love the grateful dead now. Um, more so than than ever before and getting into into the tunes now because joe had to spend so much time studying it and learning it and playing it with the guys from the dead so he put in his time and really figured out how to appreciate it and like it and know it 
Because, yeah, as a duo, we were like, we hated anything like that. We weren't yeah. into that yeah. at all. Yeah. We were like, we were like in this jam band scene, but we were like, oh, like, how are we associated with all these noodlers? Like, you know, yeah. just yeah. what is this? Like, we didn't like, there's something about it that we didn't like. We had the same thing with Soul Live. I mean, you know, I'd say I was a little bit more like, oh, because I grew up listening to the dead also. But then when Soul Live was a thing, it was the last thing we expected was to be associated with the right. dead or jam band thing. But as it as we realized, that's where the fans were. You know what I mean? Yeah. The more mm-hmm. we embraced it and also, and then for me playing with Phil and like learning the music. And I think that's probably the same for you. You appreciate it more and more and more, you know, as yeah. you learn the catalog and like realize like the depth of the music beyond just like them as a band, like the songs and. You yeah. Know. And, and, and you, and you do that and you realize it and you learn that you love the music and you learn the intricacies and you learn how special the song really is. But what really brings it out for me is then you look out in the audience of 2000 people and you're like, those guys know this way better than I do. Yeah. And because of their vibe and them singing and moving and, and cheering during certain points, you're like, why are you cheering? What's what, you know? And yeah. you're like, Oh, like that's the epic part of the song. This yeah. part. You yeah. know, bah, you're yeah, like, yeah. Oh! <laughs> you know, like I didn't, I didn't get that. Like when we did it without the fans, it didn't sound this good. And then the yeah, fans yeah. made you realize how good it is. So yeah, it's like the, yeah. the seeing that reaction and seeing like, oh, they segued this song and that song. You never do that. And you're like, at first you're like, really? But then you're like, oh right, I get it. When you learn the history of how it goes and what's yeah. going on, you're like, oh right, this is it's cool. It's like a, it's like learning a a fun game to play with your friends. It's like right. these little twists and turns of first set, second set, little like traditions, non-traditions, yeah. breaking traditions, doing weird little things where you don't play one song until this, until the end of the year. And Oh, they never played that song this whole year, you right, know, or right, like, right. you know, things like that. Or so there's all these other secrets of how awesome it is. Just learning about it from the fans. And you're like, wow, thanks. Thanks guys. <laughs> you know. I love that about the like Grateful Dead like community, which is also something, you know, that I don't know generally until we're in the moment and then it's I learn and oh you, yeah, that thing. Oh, that middle part of Terrapin, everyone goes crazy. Right, you right, know? yeah. No, it's or the breakdowns in certain verses or whatever. But yeah, it's been so cool to watch you guys, you know, build like that. Like I saw you guys at the Greek theater last year and just like seeing that place full and everyone just going crazy. And also you guys bringing a different energy to the music. And I think that it's, it's a unique combination because Joe having learned a lot about the intricacies and the inside of it with the actual guys, but then you guys infuse this whole other, you know, way of playing it and, and hearing it and, and this whole other energy that's a lot more, intense you know at times um which people love yeah people talk about that a lot i mean it's a bunch of jersey dudes playing the grateful dead yeah yeah everybody can play like there's no like there's never a moment where i like look and i'm like oh they're tired or it's it's really mellow right now it's like everyone is like 100 percent we are in it so deeply. And, and Joe as a band leader really brings that out in everybody, you know, right, He's right. Just looking around, like, come on, you know, like, yeah, like just waiting for that epic moment where we, we break through that barrier and we're a, we're, we're a band on the stage. Like we're, you know, playing this music and it's epic. Like 
Joe's like a superhero, superhero drummer. You know, it's going to be like this amazing show and it's going to be something's going to break. It's something's going to cause something to happen. And then it's, you know, and we're going to be in this other level. And Joe's really good at, at, at doing that at bringing out uh, the best in everybody kind of really keeping you on your toes, you know, almost to the point where you're like, almost playing like does joe like this yeah you know yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. are we we got this right like because sometimes it's just like wait you know we all on the right we all on the right boat here and we go on the right you know it's like this interesting push and pull and then and when we lock and we finally get it which i honestly feel like happens every j-ranch show there's yeah. always like there's this like weird and joe like starts it like a joe's like starts it as like it's like as if we're like at the village vanguard or something right, like right geez like he's like playing brushes like really quiet there's like ten thousand people in the audience yeah. is like whoosh, whoosh, starting literally from nothing and going like to terrapin you know like <laughs> yeah right in like frantic 40 minutes or yeah like it takes takes a long time for it to grow which i really like it's really organic it's really you know you never we never i never know what's gonna happen we never know what you know um where it's gonna go of course we we rehearse a lot and we know what the segues are we know what the songs are but just the way it's gonna start and the way who knows it's gonna feel every day feels like a different vibe you know what i mean so it's like every show feels like a different thing. I really like that he he gets so into it. Joe's yeah. Joe's really into it, and he's there's never there's never a moment where we're just sort of dialing it in, you right, know. Right, um, right. And 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 uh, even though we've done so many shows and played these songs so many times, there's always something to learn. Uh, and and I love the two guitar player effect. Like Metzger just brings you know his vibe and his taste. Um, which is which is great, and then and Tommy has his vibe and his taste, which is totally different, and is epic and is awesome. And like you get that going. Uh, Dave's always holding it down. Dave, I, I like. I feel like, uh, yeah, Dave's always holding it down, playing playing such great stuff. And you know, compared to say O'Teal and like Phil Lesh. I feel like Dave is just like, he's just rocking it down there. You know, yeah, like he's yeah. never like playing like a ninth on the bass or right, like a, right, what a right. you know, he's not, he's not doing like crazy jazz harm, you know, something. He's really just holding it down and he's, he's going there. He's, he's getting out there, but he's, it's not like overly ornamental on the, on the yeah. low end. He's yeah. really just hitting those roots because I mean, Dave's is just the man and he, he hits, he has such a great tone and, his hands. I don't know if you've ever seen Dave's drive with his hands, but they're like, they're like bass hands, his right, bass fingers, right, just right. like claws. It's like that. He gets the sound from his, I don't know. He's just such a legend, legend. I love, I love Dave. that. You know, meanwhile, Joe is just sounds like two drummers at once anyway. So it's like, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really, and, and what's really great about it all is that we're, we've known each other for so long. I know I met Joe when I was in seventh grade. Yeah. Uh, Scott, we met uh, in Brooklyn, you know, early on, like Bustle early, even before yeah. that. And then Dave, we met, you know, during Bustle. So we go way back and we've, and Dave was even in my band for a while. Yeah. You know, my trio yeah. with Andrew yeah, and then Andy Borger, uh, you know, so we all like have had so many crazy times together separately and we've known each other for, for so long. So there's that camaraderie of like, yeah, let's all get together and do this guys. Like we could do it. Um, 
let's go for it. It's like the greatest job ever. Um, and, uh, and it's a lot of work, but it's like so rewarding and so much fun. And we're learning like some of the best music that's out there. Right. Yeah, I mean, the grateful dead, they have some amazing songs, you know, it's that, uh, yeah, timeless. So, and now that, uh, things are opening up, you guys have, uh, like a bunch of shows booked or things kind of coming back to full fruition again we're doing like some festivals we're doing like the um the lock-in thing yeah yeah so it's opening up yeah like my my schedule is basically we know i know the calendar for the next like two years right so yeah we're, we're basically back hopefully if everything still is going on the on the up on the up and up i mean who knows what may happen so we're just getting it while getting good because you never know like in the fall or the winter if things might close down again I, I don't know you know yeah it looks like things are things are going back and what about the trio you guys have some gigs with with your band coming up yeah absolutely great, we're great. playing some festivals as well some one-offs we're playing two nights at Levon's Barn in October. Oh, nice, nice. We're playing Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah, we're definitely, you know, sl- we're, we're slowly getting there. I was a little hesitant because I didn't know what was going on, you know. Yeah. So I, I didn't jump right on it real quick to fill in the, the calendar uh, with, you know, a bunch of my own shows and J-Rad shows. I'm sort of letting the J-Rad come in and then I'm hoping to smatter around some of my own gigs in there as well. Uh, and then as soon as this record comes out or one, once my new stuff is like ready to go out there, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely dive into a, a trio tour, um, and get, get back on it. Well, I'm excited to hear that new music, man. Thank you so much for, uh, taking the time and I hope I get to hug you in, in real, real world land soon. Uh, I know. I can't wait. All right, brother. All right, man. Thanks Take for care, having me. Man. Much love. Much love. I want to thank Marco Benevento for being on the show. I love catching up with Marco. Such a creative dude. Uh, before we go, we're going to play one track from his most recent album. It's the title track, and it's called Let It Slide.
Krasno Plus One is hosted by me, Eric Krasno. Executive producers are RJB and Christina Collins. Audio production by Matt Dwyer. Produced by myself and Ben Baruch of 1111 Group. All original music is by me, and most of which are instrumentals from my album, Telescope, under the artist name Kras. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email Kraz plus one at Gmail. That's K-R-A-Z-P-L-U-S-O-N-E at gmail.com. Send me some questions. Maybe I'll answer them on air. Send me suggestions of other guests you'd like to hear on the show. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll see you next time. Osiris.